We definitely do a lot of, you know, kind of post-audit, post-health check type remediation projects, especially when people have this AD that they've had, you know, potentially at this point for almost 23 years. It's grown organically. It's had many keeper over the years, but probably not a whole lot of standards. Those projects can both be very necessary and very time consuming just because of how high risk some of the, the changes that need to be made are. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and active directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP Podcast. When you're working inside an organization, it's very hard to get a sense of what other organizations are doing if you're not deeply involved in professional activities or aggressively networking at conferences, which are only now starting to again be in-person events. Well, let's find out a little bit more about what's going on in the world and what companies care about with my guest today, uh, Brian Desmond principal of Ravenswood Technologies, which is a consultancy that protects, secures, and modernizes cloud, hybrid, and on-premises infrastructure. Uh, Ravenswood particularly specializes in identity solutions and security, as Brian is a many-time MVP alumnus for directory services. Hi, Brian. Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I forget, 15, 16 years? What's the magic number? Yeah, I think it was about 15 years uh, that... uh... Got to kind of check the MVP box and uh, certainly a great ride. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And of course, this is this is how I know Brian as well. So, so Brian, you've said to me that, you know, your organization is, is busier than it's ever been, your consultancy. What sort of projects do you, do you see happening? What are companies interested in getting done in the identity space right now? Yeah, I mean, certainly we see it through a, a certain lens, which is, you know, the, the types of things we focus on, but um, we kind of divide the, uh, you know, the way we look at the, the different types of work we do into the on-premises realm and then the cloud realm. And while, you know, cloud is the, the exciting, you know, buzzword and where everybody's looking today, uh, most organizations, you know, outside, you know, some of the, you know, smaller ones that could be a lot more nimble still have a, a pretty significant uh, traditional on-premises estate. Um, so for us, that that on-premises work is heavily focused towards Active Directory, and you know, these days a lot of that is around things like security, hardening, cleanup, um, and and post-incident response. Uh, then you know we see a little bit of PKI work, and we continue to see MIM or Microsoft Identity Manager. But those those kind of buckets of AD work are the vast majority of what we see, at least on-premises today. Do you think that uh, these consolidations and uh, cleanup, are they as a result of everybody being afraid of ransomware and they're finally turning around and paying attention to Active Directory after years of, let's call it, benign neglect? Uh, yeah, I think the the cleanup projects are certainly there's there's you know, fear. And in many of the cases we see very, very rightly so. Um, People are, are realizing that they they have this thing that's a you know a vulnerability, not in the sense that hey we need to patch it so much as it, it's got this all this surface area and a lot of 
know, accrued technical debt. Um, we're also even seeing some of our customers where their cyber insurance carriers are wising up to, to this thing called AD and asking questions about it at renewal time and tying, uh, tying some of their premiums to it. Oh, that's interesting. So you are seeing at least secondhand the fact that cyber insurance companies are now starting to pay attention to Active Directory and Active Directory security. Yeah, we're seeing them ask about that. We're we're definitely seeing them ask about things like exchange servers, uh, which have been in the news a lot mm, um, yes. over the past couple of years. We're seeing them ask about things like MFA. We continue to see customers that that still don't have or require two factor auth for for all their users, even you know today in twenty twenty two. You know that, that's a a great point, and maybe there is some guidance that's needed there. Uh, We've talked a lot about MFA around for cloud services and how you can use technologies like Azure MFA and all that. But there's not as much talked about MFA for good old-fashioned on-premises Active Directory. Can you have any suggestions for organizations that are thinking about, well, gosh, how do I how do I secure Active Directory with MFA? What what sort of things should they be looking at? Yeah, I mean, from an end user perspective, you know, going down that passwordless journey, Microsoft has made a lot of strides to be able to make things like uh, Windows Hello for Business and some of the other passwordless capabilities that are in Azure AD also work on premises. Um, technically, those projects aren't that hard, but there's lots of uh, lots of kind of change management and behavior changes that come with it that sometimes make them harder and longer pulls. Um, and then, you know, Windows itself, when you think, especially in the context of an administrator, like the only real 2FA that it's uh, had even since Windows 2000 is is a smart card. So, you know, the last thing we want to be doing is rolling out smart cards at, at scale. But, you know, if we need to roll those out in the dozens or low hundreds for administrators, that's still something that we can uh, we can do and still be pretty agile about it. What about MFA providers that uh, can plug directly into Active Directory besides SmartCard? Are there are there any other ways to do this? Yeah, there's a couple out there that we see um, fairly frequently. I think the the most important thing to think about is what percentage of that attack service does that MFA provider protect. So um, if all they protect are remote desktop sessions or local logons, you know that's great. It makes you feel good. But at the end of the day, that's probably not how your stereotypical bad guy is going to abuse things. And so if I have to do MFA when I do remote desktop, but I don't have to do MFA when I make an LDAP connection or I make an RPC connection to a server, then there's not much point in doing the, the MFA at all, right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't block anything. You know, this reminds me of when I was working with a, a large company on uh, securing authentication for their on-premises applications through Azure Active Directory. And the thing I had to keep pointing out is it's all very well and good to put the logins through Azure Active Directory, but you then have to go in and block all access every other way you can think of, uh, which then tends to break a lot more things. So. So it remains challenging to provide, what we're saying is it remains challenging to provide MFA for uh, Active Directory, right? Yeah, I mean, I think on-premises MFA is still hard to do. Uh, it's There's been some advances. There's certainly vendors playing in that space that, that have interesting stories. But I think also there's a, a dis, you know, as you think about zero trust and how things are you know, we're kind of re-architecting the, the typical network. When you look at, hey, if I can get all my end user machines off the network and just to an Azure AD join state, so they're really just running over the internet, now I'm getting to the point that my, 
you know, I can start locking down my my inroads, and those become more of just you know server networks and operational networks where I have you know less inroads, and I can control those inroads a lot more. Right, right. There's there's fewer stuff sitting on the corporate network than used to be. Yep. Yeah, you you reduce the attack surface that way. So that's 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 uh that is interesting. And you talked about other projects that you get involved in in terms of like security remediation as well. Is that is that right? Yeah, we definitely do a lot of, you know, kind of post audit, post health check type um remediation projects, especially when people have this AD that they've had, you know, potentially at this point for almost 23 years <laughs> and it's it's grown organically it's had many uh you know many a keeper over the years but Mm -hmm. probably not a whole lot of standards um those projects can both be very necessary and very time consuming just because of you know how high risk some of the the changes that need to be made are what kind of head shaker situations do you see when you come in we continue to see things like customers with hundreds of domain admins, for example. <laughs> uh, even you know, you laugh, but we, we see it pretty frequently. Um, we see customers with shared service accounts in the domain admins group because that was the only way they could get things to run. We see people that have not upgraded, you know, AD and you know, are running on out of support or not patched domain controllers. Um, these things are. Uh, they're they're still prevalent and prevalent not just in places you wouldn't expect them. Right, right. Yeah, broken domain controllers because they haven't replicated in two years, probably that sort of thing. Yeah, we see less of that, but we certainly see people running Windows two thousand eight R two, Windows twenty twelve, you know, operating systems that you can't get patches for, and the answer is well, we're scared of what it'll break or. You know, we have a vendor that that claims X and Y won't work with it, but there's not really any evidence, but we have no way to know. You know, so one of the implications here is, and you and I have talked about this in the past, is the declining declining talent pool or the declining skill set for Active Directory after 23 years. Is that part of what you're seeing? Is that the practitioners themselves they're not they're not at the same 400 level that they might that others may have been earlier in the product's life cycle yeah i mean i think we're seeing you know in 23 years that's that's a lot of time both for technology and just in you know a person's life um and you think about you know where people were in their careers you know starting out and where they are now we're seeing a lot of that talent is you know, reaching the, you know, kind of the apex of their career. Um, we're also seeing the, you know, new talent coming in, like this, this kind of crusty old thing isn't, isn't cool or sexy. That's not what they want to do. This is the, the COBOL issue or the mainframe issue, right? Uh, which there's two sides of this coin. The one is finding the talent. The other is if you can find someone that wants to work with it, they can, you'd think they could pretty much write their ticket. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the people that we do find that, that want to do this and can do this, they, they have uh, uh, you know, a lot of upside in the discussion. Right, right. So you said you, uh, and you do get involved in after security incidents as well. What did you call it? The board up truck? Yeah, I mean, I kind of joke that we come after the ambulance has left, after the, the board up truck, after the fire has left. We, we don't do that, you know, in the moment incident response, but we do right. definitely get right. involved uh, kind of after the dust has settled a little bit and really focus on like, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? Right, uh, okay. And you, and you see those same sorts of issues that you have described? 
yeah, we see some of that, you know, some of it's, and it's not always, it's hardly ever anybody's fault per se. It's just, you know, things happen, things are missed. Um, but it's also usually just a lot of complacency or not, not investing in, in preventative controls. Well, so for preventative controls, I know one of the things that your, your consultancy is, is very well versed in is uh, tiering. Uh, what what was called administrative tiering, I think Microsoft just sort of describes it differently because they've wrapped cloud services into it as well. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that? How do you circle the wagons around the most important part of an on-premises or cloud network for that matter, the, the tier zero type assets? Yeah, I mean, tier zero is what is typically where we focus. You're right, Microsoft's kind of changed the, the branding and the message around this a little bit. But from a, you know, an on-premises perspective, anything that, that can exert control of the whole environment over identities, uh, be that AD, be that PKI, be that something like ADFS, it keeps being in the news because it's become such a, a big target. Um, we, we really want to figure out how we can, you know, like you said, put put a bit of a ring around it and limit how control can be exerted. Do you use privileged access workstations? We do typically recommend privileged access workstations. We recommend that when we kind of look at the curve of things that you can do to protect your on-premises environment. We look at it both in terms of complexity and kind of that like, you know, re reward or assurance that you're going to get from it. Assurance is usually the word that I get. Um, we'll always invest in tiering before we invest in pause or privileged access workstations, but typically pause are, are not far behind in terms of what we what we want to touch next. Because if you know the workstation or the machine that you're using to exert control on tier zero, where you're using that domain admin credential, if I can indirectly exert control on it, maybe I can own your workstation. Then what of that tiering work was for not? Right, that's part of the attack surface, and and that. Isn't that also one of the reasons why Microsoft has more or less abandoned the Red Forest concept, except in highly secure situations or use cases, because it's so hard to keep it fully secure? Yeah, I think we find the the Red Forest, as some people call it, an administrative forest. We call it a, a tier zero forest. It's really hard to support. It's hard to get working, and it's hard to close all those gaps. But then operationally, what we find is that except for some of our you know, largest and most mature customers, they really struggle to support it and keep it you know, kind of like watered and fed in a way that it's as healthy as the day you got it. Because you have so many controls applied onto it, so many updates that need to be applied yeah, the, the it's it and and guess what? We're back to the AD skill set again to handle that care and feeding. Yeah, not just the AD skill set too, but sometimes you think about what are the other like pieces of influence that I want to isolate, and you start thinking about like, well, we have a shared patching system for all our servers. Well, okay, I have to take that away because if I can use that to exert control, then that becomes tier zero. Or we have a shared VPN stack that can actually run code, or a shared threat detection or uh, EDR solution, and you start like segmenting all these off and building your own tier zero version. And next thing you know, your tiny little AD team it's not just an ad team they're an entire it department for themselves you have a bubble for a small it organization that's a really great way to look at it like that what's the worst situation where you've walked in and said oh my gosh can you really have done this i mean i don't know if there's a worst i mean we've certainly walked into things where 
uh, there's there's an incident happening or realize that that's going on as we're walking in. Um, you know, some of the worst to walk into are where, you know, like production and not in the IT sense of production, but production in the business sense, like whatever we do as a business is like down right now because of an incident. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of pressure, obviously, to go get the business back in business. But, you know, how do you do that? And also either get the bad guy out or not just let them back in. Makes a lot of sense. How about in the cloud? Uh, you you mentioned that you do a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, cloud work with different vendors and Office three sixty five and other related areas. Yeah, I mean, I think the other half for us is is very cloud focused, and again, it's that identity, security, and compliance. So, from like an Azure AD perspective, we've been seeing a lot of vendor consolidation that we've been exposed to as of late, where people are realizing they're paying both Microsoft for Microsoft 365 because, hey, you need that to you know, secure and govern all the data that you have in Office 365. But then you're paying for a third party that competes with some part of that. And when you look at, you get two bills at the end of the year, you're realizing you're paying you know, twice for the same thing. And while you know the the Microsoft solution might not be best in class, chances are what we see with most of our customers, they're not really using whatever those best in class features are with the you know the third party competitor, especially for things like single sign on. So it becomes really hard to justify renewing uh, you know renewing that bill. You're saying Microsoft's advantage here is the breadth of its platform and its penetration, and its of course its integration with the thing that the the SaaS app they're already using. Yeah, I think it's those and it's the, you know, it's all integrated, like the, the amount of work sometimes we have to do to get four or five vendor solutions to all work together and rarely work together in a harmonious way versus you've got this thing that it all works together because one guy built it. And they have, although they may have been separate to begin with, they're all being becoming more and more integrated. So what about um, what about the security aspect? If you're called in to do your cloud work, what sort of projects are popular? What are people care about right now? I think for us, we've seen data governance is, is really hot right now, both from like a data classification and labeling perspective, which we mostly do with, with MIP, Microsoft Information Protection. That used to be AIP. Before that, that was RMS. It's had you know, a bunch of different lives. And then the other part of that is things like data loss prevention. How do I know where my data is? How do I protect the crown jewels as they're you know often referred to and make sure that they don't go you know, don't go someplace they're not supposed to? Um, you know, vendor and supply chain risk with sensitive data is is really uh, been a topic we've been seeing a lot of. Like uh, you know, I'm a uh, I hire all these different subcontractors to do work for us, and they need different parts of IP. Maybe they need parts of my customers' data. How do we make sure that they don't mishandle it or share it with another level of subcontractors and those sorts of things? Um, so we, we've we've been seeing a lot of focus on that. I'd say the past eighteen to twenty four months. You know, AIP. I still call it AIP now. MIP has been around and it's evolved for a long time. It's 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 very powerful and. It's uh, it's certainly easy to to get wrong and 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 get get in trouble with. So, yeah, and I think we see, you know, again, it's one of those things. The technical part isn't hard, uh, but the getting the the business side of it is. And I think the number of times we've walked into these projects to do an AIP project and realize there's not really any sort of standards or policies programs at kind of the the organizational level in place to support it that we have to kind of backtrack it and really work with 
you know, risk and legal uh, security and so forth to develop, you know, whether it's data classification schemes or data governance program, the things that that need to be in place, then use AIP or MIP as a, you know, a core technical control to implement that. Right. It, you don't start with the technology. You have to make a whole lot of decisions before it's, it's down the, it's down the line in the project plan. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times we see people kind of gloss over that. Well, and then they deploy it and then they manage to tick off their employee population because it wasn't thought through all the way. Either that or it just doesn't get used and it, it was all kind of for not. There's been a lot of stuff in the 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 mail uh, recently and in, in the news about uh, MFA and MFA challenges and MFA bypasses. Have you been keeping up on that? The things that the ways threat actors are trying to get around MFA. What sort of re- MFA do you recommend for different organizations? What are the right ways to implement that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's becoming so ubiquitous that it's this roadblock that, you know, if you want to keep being effective as the bad guy, you're going to have to figure out how to get around it, right? You know, certainly there are methods that, you know, we've been, people have been talking about for a long time, like text messages or SMS, for example, that are just not a, not a great idea. Um, we've seen instances where people are actually being fished for one-time passcodes that they're being texted uh, and successfully. Um, you know, it doesn't, to me, like, getting a text message or a call for someone I don't know that like, Hey, could you give me that code that you just got? Uh, it doesn't like, it <laughs> kind of sets off the mental alarm bells, but uh, we're, we're like consistently hearing stories that, that that's not registering with people that it's uh, that that's a bad idea. Um, yeah. You know, you look at the traditional, like not just uh, Microsoft's app, but a lot of them where really all you have to do is push approve to approve a, an MFA request. That as well is, is highly gameable, especially a lot of organizations have this mentality that if I prompt people for MFA all the time, I'll be safe. And in reality, what you've done is you've trained everyone anytime they get that prompt to just blindly hit the go button or the approve button. That's definitely something you and I have talked about. And as a consultancy, when you're working with the way, uh, for example, the Microsoft MFA works, they they try to minimize the number of MFA challenges somebody gets until it's really needed, which is, as you were saying, goes counter to decades of IT security experience. Uh, I know I I'm a, you know I'm a big believer in the authenticator app with the push, but specifically the newest capabilities in the push of uh, number matching and geolocation in the notifications. And so that even if you are getting a, a flood of MFA requests, you can't answer them because you don't know what the other numbers are. Yeah. I mean, that makes a big difference. I certainly like that. Again, it's one of those, there's a, a mentality shift and I don't even know that there's that much training there, but like for years, IT has had this mentality that like, we can't change anything. We can't push it out because, you know, end users, as people call them, you know, often in a, uh, you know, not necessarily a polite tone, uh, they'll never figure it out. And the reality is that like, everyone's got online banking or a credit card, a mortgage, a car loan, like they've all done this and they're doing it outside of work. Right, right. It's become a lot more mainstream, although... The adoption, I'm sure Alex Weiner would tell us, is way below the the level of adoption that we would all like to see. We see evidence of that even at the enterprise level. We we still do MFA rollout projects at scale. 
2022 and you know at scale you know not hundreds but tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of seats well that's interesting because you know one of the challenges for MFA rollouts are what you use to the MFA device is mostly are the, is are people now mostly comfortable with smartphones? I know that in Europe there are some issues, and certainly places like Africa and other areas where you can't assume the ubiquity of people with smartphones. Yeah, I mean there there are definitely places where either for you know kind of labor relations issues they're they're difficult. Although we typically see customers work through that, it takes some time and work, and it's painful, but it's it's solvable. There are issues in certain parts of the world where it just Devices, like you said, aren't ubiquitous, and people are still you know, using you know Nokia's flip phones, that sort of thing. And then the other thing that we run into all the time is, especially in either manufacturing scenarios, uh, is one example where people just can't have their phone while they're working. Right. Um, so that's one problem. We also run into all the time people that work in sensitive or controlled areas where you can't bring electronics through the door. Um, and that's where, you know, either just like time-based hard fobs or FIDO2 tokens are, you know, a, a low cost way to, to solve, solve those problems. Certainly the, um, oath standard hard tokens were, were traditionally used for some of those. Are you seeing more of an adoption of FIDO compliant tokens? I think we're seeing a lot of people talking about it, at least amongst our customers. We haven't had mm-hmm. many like large scale. We just ordered lots of those, but we, you know, we also uh, have worked with a couple of the vendors of those tokens over the past few years, and they they tell us that they are seeing those orders. Um, so it, it it definitely is happening. Um, but also, you think about you know ordering ten or twenty five thousand, hundred thousand those things, and figuring out how to ship them worldwide and get them in people's hands and deal with when they lose them, they get stepped on, they break. Uh, you know that's hard. Yeah, that's really hard when you actually put, have to have to move something physical around instead of just moving electrons around. Amazon has the logistics operation to ship stuff. You know virtually anywhere seemingly, but you know, your average company is an Amazon. No, <laughs> that's very true. So what about passwordless? We're talking about MFA and you know, this is really MFA is about helping make passwords harder to, but underneath it all, there is still a password. What about passwordless in the organizations that have been trying to move that forward? Yeah, I think we're we're having conversations about it, you know, weekly, if not more frequently. Um, I think a lot of that is in the pilot or the POC stage. Some people are further along with things like Hello for Business at the desktop. Um, you know, as an organization here, we have it fully deployed. I actually have no idea what my password is. And because we have every one of our apps integrated with Azure AD, I don't need to know it. But for most organizations, they don't have that. And it's going to be a long way to get there, especially when you think about legacy on-premises stuff. So then it becomes this, well, I don't have to use my password some large percentage of the time, but then this this chunk that I do. So how do we you know, kind of bifurcate those and get people to remember both? If you have a situation like if you know you have your, your hybrid configuration or your Azure AD configuration to use passwordless, well, not passwordless, but don't have to provide the password and use Authenticator instead, or simply unlocking your device with a pin instead of providing a password, 
absolutely every day I see people forgetting their passwords and then they've got to go off and reset their passwords to remember just long enough to forget it again. So it'll be a good day when we see uh, that go away, but it'll also be a long time in the future. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for your time. I always appreciate your insights into what people are actually willing to spend money about, which is, uh, I suppose, the bottom line for reality. So, Yeah, no, it was uh, fun doing this and uh, it was good to talk again. Well, I look forward to checking back in and finding out how things have changed in a few months. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.